CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. The Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown here on Mike FM Winnipeg. As always, I'm Ryan Coop, and this time not alongside Michael Garrell, as always. Uh, we're playing a bit of musical chairs here today. I'm taking over Mike's seat uh, at the control center here, and uh, Mike is uh, down at the MTS, Bell MTS Iceplex right now getting set for another broadcast, but will join us on the phone shortly. But I am pleased to be joined by a special guest host here across from me in studio, uh, co-host of the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast, all the way from Wisconsin. Joining me here is Joe Pritchard. Welcome to the show, Joe. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, before we get started, I do want to apologize uh, for uh, being a steep drop in quality of guests from last week. Oh, not a drop at all. First time we've had a guest in studio, so you set the bar pretty high, uh, you were able to get here okay today, didn't, uh, you know, no roads blocked off due to a moose crossing or anything like that? Uh, not moose, uh, a lot of orange barrels, but uh, we see <laughs> that down my way too. Um, that's good, great. Uh, obviously, uh, wow, I, I'm very honored that you made the trip down from Wisconsin just to join us here on the show here today. Um, now, obviously, that's not the case. Uh, you were in town for the Banjo Bowl this weekend, as you are a Bombers fan. Uh, first game here in Winnipeg uh, that you've been to. Uh, what was the experience like? Uh, it was everything I've been told it was. Uh, uh, my first, uh, the first four Bomber games I've seen were on the road. Uh, uh, got talked into going to Labor Day uh, three years in a row, about a decade ago at this point. Uh, those were good experiences too, uh, except for the product on the field, unfortunately, but, uh, everything I've been told about IGF, uh, magnify it because it was one of the better experiences I've had at a live game anywhere. So now being from the States, from Wisconsin, obviously in recent years, we've seen a big growth in exposure to the CFL down South with a lot more games being shown on ESPN. People are following it a lot more. How did you get into the CFL to begin with? That That's a long story, so I'll try to tell the Coles Notes version for you. <laughs> uh, so way back uh, in my younger days, uh, the CFL did get a little bit of exposure on ESPN. Uh, some of the VHS tapes of highlights would get down south as well. Uh, but, of, but of course, one of the biggest things for me was the U.S. expansion. And I hooked on to Baltimore as soon as I saw their uniforms, not because I had any sort of judgment of their football ability but that kind of worked out pretty well for me uh then it was probably a, you know there was a few years after after the u.s expansion failed where it was just not a thing in the states anymore just not available at all uh slowly though over the years i picked up uh, internet sites here and there uh, had some decent experiences there one of the sites i happened to meet my best friend in the world who's also uh sitting you know what i don't know 10 feet away from us at this point uh he drove me up here today uh and he was the one that first of all talked me into being a bomber fan instead of a rider fan so i definitely need to thank him for that and uh, convinced me to come up for labor day and ever since i've been hooked 
Right on, right on. Um, yeah, so the Bombers, I guess, what what was it about the Bombers that hooked you so much? Well, the Prairie football experience from everything I was reading and everything I was hearing matched pretty closely to the intensity that we have about our football down in Wisconsin. Uh, we have a couple of pretty good teams down there. I think you might have heard of them. Uh, but I've just sold into the experience, uh, and especially right around then is when the Banjo Bowl became a thing as well mm-hmm. with uh, Westwood's comments and the ensuing right. uh, interest in the rematch. Uh, so that that was definitely uh, one of those things that said, hey, I need to go take a look at this. Right on, right on. Uh, well, we're happy to have you, uh, you know, that CFL exposure down south. Obviously, you do the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast. Uh, talk a bit about that. How did that start, and uh, what what is it all about? Uh, so that started at the near the end of the 2015 season. Uh, I'd been conversing with a fellow that I didn't even realize was from the States. Uh, to be honest, at that point, he was running a site called CFLPass.ca, and he reached out to me about, hey, we're both Americans. Let's do a show about this. And that's when the podcast uh, group had started to grow. Uh, now that there's plenty of precursors out there, Basie Lions Den, CFL Horseman, and Roosh Radio have been uh, long-term. Uh, so I was listening to those shows. And then others showed up around that time, too. So uh, we just came, became a part of uh, what was called the CFL Podcast Family and is now the CFL Podcast Network. Right, right. Um, we're joined now over the phone line, finally, by Michael Garrell. Mike, are you there? Good evening, boys. How are you? Good. How are you, buddy? Oh, I'm okay now, but we got this uh, broadcast line figured out here. My apologies, but I'm uh, here now for the hour. All right. We're happy to have you over the phone line. Missing you in studio, but you're here to join us. Um, I guess uh, let, let's start. We had a wild weekend of CFL football, including a triple header on Saturday that was probably one of the best days of the CFL season in recent memory. Uh, let's start off with the game all three of us were at, the Banjo Bowl. Um, first Banjo Bowl experience for you, Joe. Um, you have the Packers in Wisconsin. You have college football there, I assume, as well, right? Um, noise level, do, how, how does it compare? Uh, when you're in stadium, and especially since the seat I was in was underneath one of the roofs, uh, it's not even so much what you can hear, it's what you could feel in your internal organs. <laughs> and it, it was definitely a, uh, uh, it was in the same ballpark. We'll go that far. Yeah, yeah. I, much larger crowds, I'm assuming. Uh, but, uh, in, in the States, right? But no, but no more intense. We'll no more intense. <laughs> As far as the game itself, the Bombers rebound quite well from the loss the previous week against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Regina. 48-28, the final score. Uh, huge win for the Bombers, especially coming into the bye week now, because uh, if you look at it, if the Riders win that game, they're two points back with a game in hand over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, and the Bombers go into the bye week potentially. I mean, if the Riders beat Hamilton, you're looking at tie tie game in the standings. So huge win for the Bombers momentum-wise as well coming into the that game. Uh, what, what did you see from the Bombers that you really liked? I, I liked that they stuck that they stuck with it in the first quarter and kind of took control of the game right away. Uh, that's something they hadn't been able to do against the Riders this year. They fell behind both times early on. Uh, this time around, uh, besides a couple of long balls, they were able to control the action, and they kept control of that the entire game. 
Now, Mike, you were at the game there as well, obviously. Uh, what what was it like for you? Your first game of the season. You've been to plenty in the past, but uh, have you ever heard the stadium this loud, Mike? You know what? It was funny. I was sitting with my uh, with my girlfriend in the upper bowl, uh, not far from where where you were, Ryan. And the the thing that struck me is how windy it was. I mean, I know how windy it was where I was sitting, you know, top of the there's a little bit about six rows up in the uh, 200 section. And I, I go along with a lot of what Joe said, and that is the fact that basically the Bombers did not, um, I thought, dominate the game in any, any stretch early on, but they didn't let it get away from them. And I, for me, and, you know, I, I turned to my girlfriend, I think it was sometime during the first quarter and I said oh it's all oh, good news here but you know they're still in the football game because you go back a week earlier and it was you know 28 to 7 24 to 7 no before long the fact that the Bombers were able to kind of weather the storm come out of the first quarter 7-7 and then of course that mole I did Kevin Fox punt return which I know we're going to get to but for me that's when the game changed and the Bombers forced in turnovers. But to get back to the original question, Investors Group Field was loud. And I don't think we've, I've ever heard it that loud. My ears were ringing, like legit ringing for 45 minutes after the football game. I feel sorry for the stadium announcers because, I mean, they, they, they props to them for trying to power through with their in-game announcements. But I couldn't hear a thing they were saying. Uh, person next to me, I could barely, you know, get a word in because it, that place was loud as I've ever seen it, uh, especially on defense. And to their credit, the Bombers gave us a lot to be loud about many big plays. Obviously, they gave up many big plays as well. And that was something that, you know, I kind of disagree with you a little on that when you say the Bombers kind of did a good job of weathering the storm and hanging around. For the most part of this game, I think the Bombers dominated. It's just those couple big plays they gave up. You had the two long touchdown passes to Naaman Roosevelt uh, and Deron Carter, I believe, that uh, really kept the Riders in it. The Bombers were shutting them down defensively. I mean, until that first touchdown pass to Deron Carter, I think they had 12 passing yards in the game. So eliminate a couple of those missed tackles and broken coverage, and you're looking at an even bigger win for the Bombers. You know, Ryan, and just, just to cut in here quickly, I, I mean, for me, the big thing was that first drive. It was the uh, the run by LaFrance. He got the first down. Then I think it was the first down that Glenn hit the goalpost on. Or it was the first or second drive where Glenn hit the goalpost off the uh, off the upright. Sorry, that was the second drive where he hit the upright. The first drive was the pit set or the pit by uh Santos thoughts, though. Right. I think the fact that the Bombers did not let the Riders establish their offense in the early going in the first quarter was good news despite the big plays. People will say, yeah, the big plays, you know, cost the Bombers 14 points. But in reality, they didn't cost the Bombers all that much because you take those 14 points off the scoreboard, the Riders had 14 points in the whole football game if you take away those two plays. And that, for me, was more encouraging than anything. And I just don't understand why people are so fed up about this Richie Hall bend-but-don't-break offense. 
defense. But don't play defense. It's not going to change overnight. It's, they're going to bend, but they rarely ever break. And then the Saskatchewan game, the Labor Day game, they broke. They bent in this game, but they didn't break. And I think this defense is vastly improved, and I think they will continue to improve. What do you make, Joe, of the offensive play for the Bombers so far this season? Paul Apolis, I feel, has done a great job uh, mixing up the plays a little bit. You know, getting they really spread the ball around well, uh, utilizing those screen passes. A lot of stuff we didn't see with previous offensive coordinator Marcel Belfay. Uh, yeah, it's a dynamic offense, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's certainly one that's starting to come into its own. Uh, even early in the season, there would be times where you'd look up and realize the Bombers haven't had a first down for a quarter and a half, but that's starting to go away now. They're starting to be a lot more consistent about marching up and down the field. They haven't been a huge big play offense, but I'd almost rather have a team that's going to march more consistently, uh, even if it's going to end up in uh, three points a little bit more often than we'd like. Uh, at least at that point, you're putting pressure on the other team and you're making them stop you instead of stopping yourself right and with those big plays or kind of what the bombers do really well they do that hurry up offense which is the best one i've seen in a long time in the cfl personally um but they do those short passes you know seven yards okay now we'll go get the first down and they move down the field they eat up a lot of clock by doing that which is something that we haven't seen the bombers do in many years i mean still for a large majority of this game the Riders were dominating in the clock, but really late third quarter, early fourth quarter, you saw the Bombers were down about nine minutes in time of possession, got back to about even by the end of the game. And that's something, and that's when they moved back to that because, I mean, you can get those long plays, that 80-yard 80 tar- 80 touchdown pass takes however long it takes them to run down the field, and that's all you take off the clock, uh, especially late in the game when you're up like the Bombers were. Uh, it, it's so key to take the time off the clock, and I think that's something those little plays here and there do really well. Right, and that's something we did see them do a lot of in the second half. Uh, they put the pressure just simply by marching the ball down the field on offense, even if they weren't getting points once in a while. They were they were taking that time away from a team that was behind them and forcing them, especially uh, after Glenn was out uh, and with Brandon Bridge in, to have to try to make those big plays to catch up. And that's, something, that's a position you never want to be in as an offense, especially on your back of quarterback. What, what what really had me interested is the Bombers didn't really run the ball this game at all. You have the best, arguably the best running back in the league. Some will say Jerome Messam, uh, but Andrew Harris, arguably the best running back in the league. We're looking at a point in the third quarter where I think he had maybe six carries in this game. Uh, the Bombers didn't really run the ball much. They went a lot to the passing game, um, which kind of surprised me when they had the lead they did. Uh, they started to go a bit more into the running game, but uh, it was kind of surprising that especially... You know, we saw the week before how well the Riders did by only rushing three guys uh, and having the defensive backs cover really well. Uh, I would have thought coming into this game, and especially with defensive uh, lineman Nick James out for the Riders, who's been really good lately, I thought Andrew Harris was going to have a field day so much that I put him into my fantasy lineup, which you unfortunately decently disappointed. Um, But the Bombers kind of went a different route and it worked for them. Yeah, they seem to ha- come out with the game plan of throwing because it, uh, with James out, 
you almost think that Jones is going to adjust to try to help out the run game a little bit more. And the Riders did, were able to stop Harris the few, the few times he was running the ball. And it's something the Riders have been doing to the Bombers this year, too, is taking Harris out of the game some. So going away from him as a matter of a game plan seemed to work out pretty well because uh, they may have that's what LaFleece must have seen is that they were focusing on trying to get Harris stopped. Uh, this is the third time around for these two teams, so it, it was time to make an adjustment. And then, of course, then you start feeding him in the fourth quarter when the other team is tired, uh, when you're trying to run some clock. And ugh, 48 points, I mean, you can't do much better than that. No, no, you really can't. And uh, that's something we saw a lot of in this game particularly is using Andrew Harris as a blocker. I saw, you know, many plays. He's not get, If he's not getting the carries, Chances are he's protecting the quarterback, and I think that was a key for the Bombers in this game to give Matt Nichols that time in the pocket. He had all the time in the world to find his receivers. Talk about that touchdown pass to Ryan Lankford uh, in the end zone. I mean, he couldn't have placed that ball much better than he did straight between two defenders right into the corner of the end zone. It was a really beautiful pass, and it, it, it made the Riders, it made Chris Jones pay for a couple questionable decisions, which is what I want to kind of get into next. Obviously, the first one early in the game, would have been the Bombers missed field goal that Deron Carter takes out of the end zone, which that one wasn't decided by Chris Jones. It was Deron Carter. But, I mean, that basically gave the Bombers seven points on the board right there. Carter takes it out of the end zone, gets stopped at the two-yard line, uh, and then Kevin Gunn hits the goal post. They punt away. The Bombers end up in the end zone a couple plays later on a touchdown pass to Clarence Denmark. Then, obviously, and we're going to talk about that next, uh, the insanely impressive punt return touchdown by Maurice Leggett that is going to be on highlight reels for times to come the way they did that play there. But it was almost like after that happened, Chris Jones is like, okay, well, if he's going to do that, now I'm going to have to try to top him, right? So the Riders, what do they come out with next time they're kicking off? They try the onside kick. Doesn't work at all. And then late in the game, they try that onside punt. Uh, two-point conversion earlier in the game when they uh, didn't necessarily need to go for it. So I almost feel like Chris Jones tried to outthink him, almost outthought himself in this game. Right. Uh, he was trying to keep up with Mike, Mike O'Shea when it comes to special teams, and that's probably not the best idea I've ever heard of because <laughs> uh, besides maybe Jeff Reinbold, Mike O'Shea is one of one of the, if not the best, coach of special teams that I've seen in the CFL in the time I've been following it. So trying to go tit for tat on that makes a little bit less sense than trying to attack another portion of the uh, Bombers game plan. Well, I have this theory that Mike O'Shea doesn't actually have free time because when he's away from the office or away from the football field, it would not be surprised me if he locks himself in a room, sits with the CFL rule book, and sees... How can I exploit this for my next special teams masterpiece? Because time and time again, we've seen Mike O'Shea. We saw him exploit that rule with the uh, onside punt earlier in the season where they had Mike Miller line up on the sideline. I mean, some of the things he's done, plays they've the Bombers have pulled off are incredible. Uh, now, obviously, this punt return by Maurice Leggett uh, that he takes back for a touchdown where Kevin Fogg basically fakes out the entire Riders team uh, trying to pretending that he's going to be the punt returner on this play and give him an Emmy award for that. That was some great acting from Kevin Fogg. No one's covering Maurice Leggett. Only the kicker is back to, you know, try to stop him, but he's got like five blockers in, on the way. Leggett goes back for the touchdown. So 
that was an incredibly well drawn up play, aided to an extent by the fact that Josh Bartel kicked it right towards Maurice Leggett. Um, but wow. Yeah, I've seen that play once before uh, in down yeah, south was anyway. In the NFL. Yeah, that was actually Bears Packers, I believe. And had there not been a penalty, the Bears would have scored a huge touchdown in a game that was close. So I'm rather happy yeah. the first one didn't work out. But seeing it work out for my team, I really enjoyed watching that play. Well, and watching it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, no, Seattle was the team that ran the play originally. Okay, so it was the Seahawks that ran it originally. Um, Just to reiterate here quickly, because I have to step out for about five minutes, but I will leave this uh, with you guys. I don't think Chris Jones had any other option but to, quote, outthink himself. The way the Bombers were playing, there was only one way to stop him, and I don't think he had much of a choice but to take chances to get back in the game the way the Bombers were playing. That's the way I saw it. Yeah, I would. I think I think Chris Jones had to take chances to get back in the game, knowing the way that Bomber offense was performing. Well, early on in the game, I think we saw the Riders' defense actually do a pretty darn good job of slowing the Bombers' offense. That first drive, they started in the Riders' end of the field and end up in the end zone. So, uh, and a couple, you know, early on in the game, it was. You look at the stats at halftime, and Kevin Glenn's got 311 yards pass, or they have 311 yards of offense, I think it was, and the Bombers uh, in, are at something like 150 or 200 or something like that, aided by those two long touchdown pl- passes by the Riders, which, I mean, no, no offense to the members of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense, but that that may have been some of the most unfortunate and uh, worst cases of tackling I've seen in a long time. But again, it, it didn't cost them. And here's another thing to consider too, guys. The Bombers lost to Jamie the other day uh, in Regina. They were down 24-7. to Imagine the stretching down, the, down and long they put themselves in. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers this week, I thought, did a masterful job on first down to make stretching down manageable. And I think if the Bombers can do a lot of the stretching and four, stretching and five, even stretching and six, it bodes well. And that's another reason why I think they had so much success and opened up the playbook. In Regina, when they were down 24 to 7, there was a lot of the second and nine, second and eight type of plays. So, again, first down production, I think, was another another key part of this offense and overall Blue Bomber success. I, I would have to say, for me, the overall key to winning this game, which it is, I would almost say at least 8 out of 10 times when the Bombers win a game, is that they force the turnovers on defense. And that's a large case often in the CFL as well. Difference between this week and last week, mirror images of each other. Like I always say, the Bombers' defense is always going to give up a large amount of yards. We've seen it for season after season. But it's magnified when they don't force the turnovers and instead give up the points. Last week, they didn't force the turnovers when they really needed to. This week, they came up with some huge turnovers. You talk about that pick six by Maurice Leggett in the second half, which, I mean, Jackson Jeffcoat was a little offside on that play, and it went on called for, but still a heck of a play by Maurice Leggett uh, to take that back into the end zone. Especially, I mean, Caleb Hawley, I think it was, was the guy chasing him down to tackle him there. And Leggett has the wherewithal to stop, spin around, and go around him and head into the end zone, which... 
with the adrenaline moment, I can just imagine, you know, you, you have the ball, you see the end zone ahead of you, and it's go, 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 right? Uh, for Maurice, I get to have the awareness to go and stop, realize he's going to be caught, and spin around and go into the end zone. I thought that was incredible. Uh, great day for him. I would say he has to be in consideration for Defensive Player of the Year in the CFL so far this season. What do you think about that, Joe? Uh, yeah, I can't think of too many others that would be uh, along the same lines. I'm sure they're uh, – I'm just blanking at the moment as to who else. Ed uh, Gainey's obviously got a case too. Oh, yeah, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll be yeah, out with there. The last, with, the, with the last couple of games he's had, it's been almost a season for some guys. But, <laughs> yeah, so definitely uh, Leggett and Gainey in consideration. Probably a few others too. I would say I'm Solomon Elmimian out of BC is always yeah, going to be considered. He's always going to be too. Uh, Alex Singleton out of Calgary is having a heck of a season season in his second year in the league uh, so I think we're seeing a lot of guys more so out west than out east uh, just given the parity between the two divisions right uh, I won't be surprised if it by the time the season ends most of the award winners come out of the west division this year yeah I think that's that goes without too much further discussion <laughs> on that point <laughs> uh, yeah so the Bombers win this one 48-28 coming to the bye week at 8-3 and three, which I guess my next question for you is before the season started, what were your expectations for the team coming in and what, where did you have them standing? I was a little bit worried about how much of their success was predicated on turnovers. I was thinking that they would do a little bit better as far as uh, the yard disparity that they had last year. Uh, I was expecting them to come down just a bit because they did get real hot when Matt Nichols uh, took over from Drew Willey. I was expecting them to settle down to be closer to 500 and possibly cross over. I'm really glad I was wrong on that point. Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I was right there with you. I said 9-9 nine and nine coming into the season was my prediction because we saw this, and this has been you know beaten to death almost, that there was no way the Bombers are going to keep up that turnover ratio they did last year. Early on in the season, they were proving us wrong because they were keeping that up, and they have, for the most part, so far this season, kept that up. And even when they haven't, they've made a couple of big plays, big stops, when they hadn't been doing that as much. Late last season, into the playoffs, and even into the first couple weeks of the season, they were still struggling to put teams away. Well, talk so. about that third down defense as well so far this season. I think... Uh, offensively and defensively you could argue third and short the Bombers are the best team in the league so far this year right and those are just as good as the fumbles and the interceptions too throw back to that one was it against Edmonton where it was six plays that uh, they had a shot to they finally got into the end zone on the sixth play from the one yard line so yeah I think that was Calgary but yeah I remember that one and that just brings up a pet peeve of mine uh when it's first and goal or second goal at the one the ball's at the one the goal line is the yard off the ball how do you not look at your feet or look at your head right, and make yeah. sure it's not across that line because that's the easiest call in the world to make but yeah that, uh, that's, that's just that's, that's one of the most obvious penalties <laughs> i think you can avoid in the cfl uh right next to you know the whole throat slashing gesture which we'll get into yet when we talk about the edmonton Eskimos and calgary stampeders um I thought the Bombers were going to be 9-9 nine and nine going into this year, like you said. Um, defensively, I didn't think they'd be able to keep up that same pace. And I was interested to see what Matt Nichols was going to do. Because when Matt Nichols was acquired around Labor Day time, Banjo Bowl time in 2015, uh, and finally started and took over last year, when he was acquired, I never thought Matt Nichols was going to be the guy to turn around the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Career backup pretty much for the Edmonton Eskimos. 
traded for a seventh round pick. They acquired him. I thought, okay, maybe this is a guy that can come in and, you know, take over for Drew Willie. But we had seen such a carousel of quarterbacks here in Winnipeg for so many years that Matt Nichols has blown me away. That seven game win streak last year, he really took control of this team. And now we've gone from in the span of just over a year, I would say, from not knowing where we stand at the quarterback position to having arguably an all-star and depending how the rest of the season goes, a potential MOP candidate. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll take that any day of the week. Uh, I guess the couple of points uh, on Nichols that made me feel like there was a chance that we'd be seeing something like this is the fact he went head-to-head with Mike Riley and darn near won the thing before he got hurt. Right. And then even at, even at, even before he got traded from Edmonton while Riley was out – he was still taking that team to a six and three record. Now, win loss record isn't everything with a quarterback, but it's uh, at least a useful stat just to see what he's doing with what he has around him. Yeah, and uh, it's not only Matt Nichols. You have to give a round of applause to Kyle Walters for what he's done with this team, Mike O'Shea as well, uh, because on that offense, yes, you can credit Nichols as the huge acquisition. Travis Bond, when he came in last year, was the same time that. Uh, that Matt Nichols stepped into the lineup. Uh, he was an all-star at the end of the season. He's fun to watch on that offensive line, especially when he leaps into the stands afterwards, <laughs> um, as the whole offensive line does. And at Andrew Harris. Andrew Harris was up on the stands <laughs> during that game in the Bangible. That's another thing. Andrew Harris as well. That may have been the best acquisition the Bombers have made in the past decade, not only for the product he puts out on the football field, but just for you can see it. You know, the hometown boy here in Winnipeg playing for the Bombers. You can just see the heart that Andrew Harris puts into the game, what he does for the community as well. You saw them honoring Harris's heroes before the game on the Jumbotron. So to me, best acquisition in the past decade, Andrew Harris. Yeah, it's it's nice when you can bring a hometown boy home and have him play for the community he grew up in. That's for sure. That'll, that'll help uh, get anything more out of a player if he hasn't already shown what he's got but yeah uh when you look at what this product was even 2014 2015 when walters didn't have a uh, time to overturn the whole roster in right. the first couple of years you could just see holes left and right now i'm hard pressed to find more than a couple that you could even consider holes at this point which is really nice to say as a bomber fan yeah really well-rounded team uh offense defense special teams you have these big name players that are that that are making the big plays when they need to that's why the bombers are eight and three at the break uh the riders fall to i believe five and five now they're back to five hundred with this uh game here is that correct yes i believe so i think bc is ahead of them uh but the uh, six and five but the riders do have a game at hand on them uh but we were talking before about how the win put us, what, two and a half games above the Riders. It's also a tiebreaker, too. So now the Bombers have the tiebreaker going into uh, late in the season. That's huge. Well, they yeah, also now technically have... with the tiebreaker, the Bombers are actually four games ahead of the Riders in the standings. So eight and three and five and five, and the Riders would have to win one more. Uh, so that's that's good news for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I would say. A closing in, a couple more Bomber wins, a couple of Ryder losses. You're closing in on a playoff spot because we're going to assume fairly safely at this point that the someone's crossing over to the East Division. Yeah, I, I, yeah, think I think that's safe to say. <laughs> uh, so 
great start for the Bombers, the Riders. What do you make of the Riders so far this season? Because to me, early on, people were saying, oh, 0-2. Oh, uh, oh I think they started 1-3 and three or something like that. Uh, people not really buying into the Riders so far uh, early on in the season. I, I, I still believed in them early on just because those two games they lost to the Bombers and the Alouettes in the first two weeks were... A missed field goal away from winning those ones, and they're you're looking at three and zero at that time. Uh, and then their defense all of a sudden rounded into form. Uh, offensively, Kevin Glenn's been having his arguably best season of his career. Uh, and then you had those two blowout wins against BC and Edmonton, uh, and then that game in Regina before this game here. So the Riders are a 500 team, but are are, are they better than 500, or do you think 500 is accurate? Uh, I think they're in the right ballpark right now, considering how much Chris Jones gutted this team before 2016. Last year was basically a uh, 20-game preseason for Mm. this season. Uh, So it did take them a little bit of time to round into form, but Kevin Glenn did start out pretty hot in 2015 with the Riders, too. Uh, They were losing games, but they weren't losing by much, and Glenn was putting up a putting up numbers then too so seeing him back in Saskatchewan and succeeding in the manner he has been succeeding isn't the biggest surprise in the world and and you know Chris Jones is going to be able to coach a defense once he's got the talent I mean that defense is really that that's a Chris Jones defense if I've ever seen anything you know he brings a lot of drama with him but he also knows how to build a football team I think Right, and the drama's not going to matter nearly as much if they're winning. Right. Last year they weren't, and the drama was there, and he didn't make a lot of friends last year because of it. This year, even if it would have been the same as last year as far as the drama goes, which it's dropped substantially, of course. Well, yeah, everyone's even, focusing on Hamilton now, right? So exactly. Chris Jones has the spotlight off of him. Even if, even if it was to the same level, though, I don't think it would matter as much because they are showing significant improvement. And Kevin Glenn goes down in this game. Brandon Bridge comes in. I thought Bridge played decently well when he came in into the Banjo Bowl, or especially his first drive or so. He was throwing the ball decently. Had that nice run. The heck of a hurdle over the Bomber defender to get into the end zone. Um, Interesting to me that they go out and acquire Vernon Adams from the Montreal Alouettes. I figured Adams was coming into this game, but Bridge still gets to come in. Uh, Glenn, I'm assuming, will probably be out this week. I know he was at practice today, but he was not participating. Um, who would you do? You give it to Bridge still, or uh, do you Vernon Adams, who is basically the future quarterback in Saskatchewan? We're assuming at this point. Do you give him the reins? I can't see why you don't give it to Bridge at least this week because Bridge has at least been there and knows the playbook a little bit more. Adams has been there less than a month. A good way to kill a quarterback's confidence is to put him in there when he may not have a full grasp of what's happening. I'm not saying that, you know, even two, three weeks from now we won't see Adams if Glenn stays hurt or goes right. down again. But it might be just a touch too early to throw him in there and say, go win me a game. Right, right. Fair enough. Uh, Mike is back on the phone line with us again. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the Riders, uh, where they go from here, Mike? Um, you know what, guys? Uh, the way I see this is, uh, I know we might talk about this later, but I have to wonder how much this Travis Lule injury messes things up in BC. I know Jonathan Jennings came in and played well, 
but I just don't know what they do beyond that, and I don't think Alex Ross is a suitable backup. I'm not sure Jonathan Jennings, if after one game, if I'm ready to anoint him as the number one, given his struggles before. That being said, the Riders, I think they're better than what they are now. I think their schedule. I was talking to a Ryder fan, and by the way, we have a, a radio special coming up from here after this show is done. And I asked one of my guests, uh, fought on the Riders, and she said, paraphrasing off the microphone, she is from Saskatchewan, and she says, quite frankly, and I'm paraphrasing, she may have exceeded my expectations. I'm just not sure with the schedule if it's conducive, given the fact that, you know, two weeks ago, we were looking at Hamilton at 0-8. Now they've won two in a row. I don't think this is a give-me game coming up for the Riders as much as it was two weeks ago. So I'm not sure if I'm ready to pitch the Riders on Friday, regardless if Glenn plays or not. That being said, I think a really good football team in the West is going to make the playoffs, and I think the fifth-place team might finish 9-9 nine and nine or 10-8, and eight, and then you open up the debate about, you know, do we go to the one-division top-six format? I think you do. Oh. But of again, course, I, that's the uh, debate we have every week. Uh. You know, I, again, as I said, just to kind of quickly finish up, a good football team in the West is going to miss the playoffs, and I think it's one of BC or one of uh, the BC or the Riders, and I think we'll really know what the Riders are made of in the next three to four weeks. Well, I would say they have a pretty decent schedule coming up as well. I think four of their next five games are against East Division teams. Uh, you've got Hamilton. I know you've got a game coming up against Calgary. I think that one's in Saskatchewan. Uh, and then they play Toronto. Yep. I think maybe Hamilton and Montreal. No, I think Ottawa's in there. I don't know. Uh, but I know it's against East teams coming up. I don't have the schedule in front of me. Um, so I, I think there's potential for the Riders to go on a bit of a run here. Uh, quarterback position is dependent. Well, I, I think Brandon Bridge, I'd love to see him get a start. Canadian quarterback. You always cheer for the Canadian quarterbacks in the Canadian League. Um, but hopefully Kevin Glenn gets healthy. And this was really like as great as this weekend was with the triple header on Saturday and a great game Friday night. Um, this was really the, 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 the quarterback massacre I call this weekend, because up until this point, we really hadn't had any injuries at the quarterback position in the CFL very much. Ricky Ray went down, was out a game. I think it was just one game, right? Um, other than that, I don't know if there was a quarterback in the CFL that's missed time. Well, I guess Jonathan Jennings, right, was the big one. Um, everyone's remained relatively healthy. And in the span of 24 hours, we lost Travis Lule to what looks like a season-ending and hopefully not career-ending injury. And then next, all of a sudden on Saturday, Kevin Glenn goes down. We don't know how long he's going to be out. We think it might be a couple weeks, it looks like. And Travis or Trevor Harris goes down in the next game and has his arm in a sling and could be out weeks uh, now as well. And then, I mean, even Jeremiah Mazzoli was shaken up and went to the sidelines for a little bit in that game, came back. We all know Mike Riley had to be pulled to the sidelines, which is debatable, but, uh, you know, they thought maybe he injured his head, but he looked fine after that. So really all the quarterbacks, this was a terrible weekend for them. And let's just start there with the Friday night game, the BC Lions, the Montreal Alouettes. That was devastating, wasn't it, Joe? 
Yeah, not exactly what you wanted to see. Uh, you got to be rooting for a guy like Travis Lule, who's fought through so much. Uh, I do remember seeing him go down in 2014 when he tried to come back apparently too soon, and you almost thought it was over then. Uh, to see him regain his position at least temporarily as a starter and then to have it end like that. You just two plays like into the game too, right? Yeah, almost the same way Jennings went down a few weeks ago, but with uh, a less devastating results to Jennings. Uh, he came in, of course, and uh, did what he had to do uh, against a Montreal team that, well, an East team going into the West team, that's not going to end well for the East team this year. It's just the way it goes. Well, yeah, coming into this game, um, so like I said before, I've been playing the CFL on TSN Fantasy so far this season, right? Had Trevor Harris in my lineup the entire week, but I thought to myself, look how bad the Montreal Alouettes have played recently, and I love what Travis Lule has done with this BC offense coming into this season. So I switched the pick to Travis Lule right before kickoff, and two plays into the game, he's out. Um, but And so like I was predicting a big game for the BC Lions, a bounce-back game. They had a couple bad weeks, but you know Wally Buono, given a week off, is going to have his team prepared to come out and play. Um, so I was expecting that. I think I predicted the score within two points in this game, actually. Uh, a full blowout for the Lions because I like what Lule had done in the time he played this season at quarterback and Jennings had struggled. So I thought, really, okay, Lule deserves to take over and start. And I love to see him, like you said, such a great guy getting a chance to come back and be a starter for this team. Um, and then for it to all shatter within two plays, it really sucks. And it was kind of like, what now for the BC Lions? Because Jonathan Jennings can't have had much confidence after the way he's played in recent weeks. And now all of a sudden, okay, I'll get some time on the sideline to go and watch, you know, maybe figure out my game a little bit. Just kidding. Go back out on the field. Now you, now you need to lead us out there the whole game. Well, he did definitely respond when called oh. upon, so that helps. And the other thing is, even if Lule would have been the starter through the rest of the year, Jennings has to be considered the future. Oh, so 100%. you might as well. At this point, you're six and five. You're in the playoff hunt, but chances of catching either Calgary or Winnipeg at this point aren't too great. Although BC does have the two games in IGF later this year, so right. it's not over yet. But in this position, you might as well see what your future holds. Yeah, and now Jennings the rest of the season is back to the starting position. So this was a huge bounce back game for him uh, against a Montreal. I wouldn't say their defense has struggled at that much talent wise this season. I would say more so chalk it up to just being on the field the entire game because the offense can't get anything done. Yeah. That offense has had issues since gosh, since Calvi has been gone. Uh, they never did figure out any way of replacing him and they've, been through about as many quarterbacks as the Bombers have since 2013 so well and, and it's almost like with the whole Calvillo thing with him retiring it was it was we have this great thing we don't want to give it up we want to keep him as long as we can and I mean Anthony Calvillo is one of the best players in CFL history so you you have this guy on your team and it's almost like you're, you're stunned watching him play right and then all of a sudden his career is over and it's like okay now we got now what right like now what are you gonna do Montreal this is a team that I, I have concerns about. I even before Hamilton even pulled out the win over Ottawa this week, I actually after that game Friday night went and said I have a lot more confidence in Hamilton winning a game at this point in the season than I have in Montreal winning a game because 
yes, they have a strong defense, and Noel Thorpe is a great defensive coordinator and, in my opinion, deserving of a head coaching job in the CFL, and I think he'll get one sooner or later. Um, but offensively, Darian Durant has not been getting it done for large portions of the season. Um, they barely use their running game, which is confusing when you have Terrell Sutton, who can be one of the best running backs in the CFL. It's not that this team doesn't have the talent. Darian Durant's still a heck of a quarterback in my eyes. Um, Terrell Sutton, one of the top running backs in the league. And you look at the wide receiver position, the great Nick Lewis, who's now the all-time leader in receptions in the CFL, as you'll be reminded on TSN broadcasts every week for time to come. Um, and you have B.J. Cunningham, who's having a heck of a season. Ernest Jackson, who is can be one of the top receivers in the league if you give him the ball. So, And defensively, they have the guys. Well, it's not that this Montreal team doesn't have the talent. It's just it doesn't seem to be connecting well. And I, I, I don't know what the reason is for that. No, they seem to just have had a whole bunch of problems. And the fact that you mentioned Ernest Cunningham third, or Ernest Jackson third, when you're going down the receivers, uh, says a lot about how the season's gone for them. Right. Well, yeah, that was just a coincidence them. in the order they came into mind. But yeah, that's a great exactly. point, right? It, 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 with a guy with that much talent, the not being first in the mind, it, that's the way it goes on the field, too. Is Every once in a while, I'll see a game, and it's like, oh, that's right, Ernest Jackson plays for Montreal when he catches a ball in the second quarter. Right, for the right, first yeah. Time in a game. Well, and that, the concern for me is all of these guys, you've got Dar- they're struggling right now when you've got Darian Durant, you've got Ernest Jackson's been in the league for a long time, you've got Nick Lewis, who maybe has another season or two left in him. Defensively, you've guys, got guys like John Bowman and Chip Cox, who have been in the league for a long time. These guys are still playing, but they're getting up there in age. And to me, it almost seems like out of all the teams in the CFL, I I might have to rank the Montreal Alouettes as a team that doesn't really have a plan for the future. Right, and then you also have to consider that Thorpe has already tried to leave and will most likely leave at the end of his contract. So you take that away, and what do you have? Exactly. I. I, I, it's just been a lot, and I know, obviously, we had Cliffy D from Montreal on the show recently. Uh, a hard, hard time, right, covering, the, now, like, watching his thoughts on the Alouettes uh, and just watching the games myself. It's it's hard to have confidence in this team the way they're playing lately. No, I could feel that. I could feel the pain through the Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Um, so, we'll see. Hey, guys, it- if I could just jump in here to add something quickly to your discussion. Sure. What, one thing to consider is I think the Montreal OS are hand-tied. I mean, you look at what this Jasmine's got on there, just to pull this to the right as you quickly. They have four quarterbacks on their team, all four of them put together, and this includes Kevin Glenn. It's a lot less money than what Darian Durant is making in Montreal. They're paying Ernest Jackson a hefty salary to be doing very little. For me, the problem is this. They're not using Darian Durant properly, whether he is comfortable in that offense or not, but they're not using Ernest Johnson properly. They're lining up Ernest Johnson on the side of the, on the side of the, on the end of the formation to be a wide receiver. He ate everybody alive last year trying to be a slot back on the inside, not exactly on the outside. They have to move Ernest Jackson to the inside where he made his, made his living back there last year for Trevor Harris. I don't understand why you're not using Ernest Jackson 
to do what he's supposed to do. You brought in Ernest Johnson to be a slot back. Let him be a slot back. It's obviously not working as a running back, or sorry, not as a running back, but as a wide receiver on the outside. Put him in the slot where he made his where he made his fair share of money last year with big catches. And as far as I'm concerned, they're not going anywhere until they fix that offensive line. I I, I would agree with you. Um, moving on quickly, uh, the Thai Cats and the Red Blacks game, the middle game on Saturday there. Uh, Second straight win since Jeremiah Mazzoli took over at quarterback. Second straight win with June Jones at head coach. Uh, Joe, have the Ticats turned a corner in your eyes, or uh, is this kind of a two-game win streak that's just going to fizzle off and the Ticats are the 0-8 team we saw? Uh, I think think that they were better than 0-8 to begin with. Uh, They just, for some reason, couldn't get it together. Uh, The one thing I am liking from June Jones so far is that it seems like he realizes C.J. Gable exists. So that's a huge help. Yeah, that's... That's something Absolutely. that's. Absolutely, I'm. I'm that, glad you guys brought that up. I agree wholeheartedly. That that's something that's puzzled me for years. Is that you have this talent in C.J. Gable and Kent Austin, just for whatever reason, never never wanted to go to him, and mm-hmm. and it puzzled me. And it takes that pressure off of Mazzoli. Uh, we saw Mazzoli run quite a bit in this game as well. Uh, which is something he's really good at. So I, it opens up the options for your offense when you get the running game going. And that was something that was really well done in this one. The Ticats pull out their second straight win. Uh, came out flying in this game. Mazzoli was like 6 for 6 at the start of the game. It was 17 to 1, I think, at uh, halftime or something like that. And that one point only came because Brett Maher missed a 25-yard field goal, which not exactly sure how that happened. I'm guessing the angle was a little tough, but... Uh, for the Red Blacks, what does this loss mean for them? They had built a three-game win streak so far uh, coming into this one. People thought they had finally got things going and are going to come out and win the East Division. Does, does it, do they take a step back in your mind now? or? Well, they kind of have to when you consider that they're talking about Harris being out for weeks. Right, At right. least it's not months from what they're saying, but any week where you're playing Drew Tate instead of Trevor Harris is a week that you're coming out less than full strength. Oh, and when, Harris, when is the last time we, we've seen Drew Tate get like meaningful time on the football field, right? Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it it's hasn't been, a been It's been a while. I mean, you can play third-down quarterback all you want. You can be the holder all you want. But the having him come in to start, sure, it's a decent insurance policy possibly, but when you're taking one of the best quarterbacks in the league out – it's always going to be a yeah. uh, step down. So if he can, if Tate can win a game or two in the next two or three weeks, that's a bonus at this point. To, to his credit, he came in and played decently well, brought the Red Blacks back in this one, um, and then they fall short at the end, and the Ticats win the win a close game, twenty four twenty one, I believe was the final score, something like that. Uh, yeah, it did get close at the end. I can't remember. The yeah, exact I'm probably completely wrong, wrong on the final score, but you know, it was close. Uh, it was Ty- in the 20s for both right. sides. We'll go there. Now all of a sudden the Ticats <laughs> have won two straight games. They started the season 0-8, and yet they're five points back of first place in the East Division. The way things are going in the East, it would not surprise me in the slightest if the Ticats somehow win the division. Well, somebody's got to come and take the division by the horns here. Uh, we were thinking Ottawa was going to do it. Now they're down their quarterback. Toronto, of course, 
could do it. But they're but one injury to Ricky Ray away one, from Hamilton away. being the top I team. I mean, I, I will tell you most teams are one injury away from right. the starting quarterback to 100%. do so. But when you have a quarterback that has had as many injuries as Ray, that's always going to be the first thing that comes up. You would think Montreal, with their defense, would be a team that could do that simply because they could hold the other teams down and maybe squeak out some close wins, but that hasn't been the case lately either, so who else is left? Right. Calgary or Calgary Edmonton rematch this game. I want to quickly get that one in. Thoughts on that one from you as well. Uh, Guys, do real quick. It's, it's no accident that Tiger Chats are having success because they're starting to run the ball. With Ken Austin at 0-8, I can tell the one finger the number of run running plays that they call during a football game. It is absolutely amazing to me how much more success you have when you add the running game. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Calgary, Edmonton, quick thoughts from you, Joe. I think Edmonton's not dead. I don't think any, I think you can't put them away. Well, right I now, mean, injury-wise, sure. they pretty much are. You can't get much worse than the injury and effect e- they've had this year. And even considering all those injuries, they have run into a really rough schedule these, this past month, right. which is contributing to that too. But I wouldn't be surprised if they come out the other end of this weekend and put together a few wins again, because you do have Mike Riley. You do have an offensive line that's still doing the job for the most part. Uh, and Jason Moss is a heck of a head coach. When I mean, he's with, not busy throwing headsets on sidelines. Uh, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, threw it like a quarterback. Jeez. <laughs> it's almost like he had practice doing that yeah. or something. Uh, best wide receiver core in the CFL, I would argue, almost as well, especially now that Darrell Walker is back for the Edmonton Eskimos. Uh, I would argue they have one, one of, if not the top group of wide receivers in the CFL defensively they have some playmakers as well and as guys hopefully start to come back from injury although you lost more I mean Mercy Maston out for the season with an Achilles injury and warm up before this game that that's not good at all so it's terrible luck for the Eskimos I still think they're a good football team I think they're gonna bounce back uh yet this season and keep pace in the West Division I think Calgary the way we've seen them pull out even even when they didn't have their best game but Levi Mitchell didn't have his best game this game but late drive still pulls out the win. So, I mean, I think Calgary's going to do what they always do and run away in the standings because they'll beat you 60-1, to one, or even on an off day, they'll still pull out a win somehow, and that's a good mark of a good team and a good quarterback in the Calgary Stampeders, I think is the best way to sum that up. I, w- uh, I want to get into our weekly picks here, and, uh, well, we've got three of us to do weekly picks now, so uh, let's see if you can go 4-0 in your first ever appearance on the show, Joe. Well, I'll try. I've been 3-1 <laughs> and one a lot lately. That, that <laughs> seems to be the pattern. So we start off Saskatchewan in Hamilton on Friday night. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Uh, I like what I see from Hamilton. I, I like what I see from Saskatchewan. The, the question for me is who plays quarterback for Saskatchewan? I don't think it matters. I'm going Hamilton three in a row. Joe? No, I just think I think the Riders are the better team of the two, and I don't think that we see Kevin Glenn miss any time. I think we see him back here. If he can at all play, he's going to. Uh, even without, though, that Rider defense uh, could make Jonathan or yeah Jeremiah Mazzoli's life a living hell so I'm gonna have to take the Riders here I'm gonna agree with Joe here I think the Riders are the better football team even if Kevin Glenn is out I like what I've seen from Brandon Bridge so far in the time he's played this season and I think 
he has a great group of wide receivers there as well. Deron Carter, Naaman Roosevelt, Bakari Grant, Caleb Hawley. Um, so, and that defense, like you said, the Riders shot themselves in the foot, in the foot a couple times this week against the Bombers. So I think they're going to bounce back pretty well. Uh, so I'm taking the Riders. Edmonton is in Toronto Saturday afternoon. Personally, bounce back game for the Eskimos here. I think, I think they take this one in Toronto. Yeah, me too. I think they're pretty ticked off about the way that this past week's ended. Uh, Jason Moss obviously is going to have his crew ready to go. Uh, I can't see any reason why uh, Edmonton doesn't come out and win this by 15 to 20. Well, and it's not like Toronto is one of those places that gets a real big home home field advantage, right, with not a huge crowd there. Mike, who are you taking, Edmonton and Toronto? You know what? I, I liked a lot of what you guys said. I think Jason Moss took his drop in a headset or two last week. I think he tried to fire his team up. I think they pushed the bid red panel button if Edmonton loses this football game because they will have lost five in a row. I don't think they pushed the panel button. I think Edmonton pulls this one out. Uh, BC in Calgary. Uh, Jonathan Jennings is now back to being the starter. Uh, we'll start with you on this one, Joe. Uh, it seems like Calgary took a while to get BC's number last year. It took them, uh, they did have the two close games and the big comeback before the third game I actually saw live last year. Uh, they figured out how to stop a Jonathan Jennings led offense, and I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do it this week either. So, especially at home, I'm taking Calgary. Yeah, yeah. Home game for Calgary, I'm taking the Stampeders to win basically for that alone. Mike? In Calgary, right? Yep. I need I need I say more Calgary. All right, and final game quickly here, guys. Ottawa in Montreal. Like I said, I have no confidence in the Montreal Alouettes at this point. Although, if without Trevor Harris and Drew Tate in there, I'm still taking the Ottawa Red Blacks. I just I just like more from what I've seen from them. Yeah, I would say the same thing, because every year about this time, I look at the numbers. Montreal just looks half bad with the numbers. The, st- the standings are a little bit lower than I'd, I'd expect them to be based off of what they have, and I always think they're going to have a decent second half. They're going to pull away from in the East, and I'm not going to get it burned again. I'm taking Ottawa. Mike, quickly, 20 seconds. You know what? That's a really interesting bet, but I take uh, Ottawa by a close one. All right. Uh, well, Joe, thanks for uh, stopping by today and joining us here on the show. Uh, last day here in Winnipeg before you fly home, so thanks for joining us. And uh, where can people find your regular work? Uh, you could find us at thegruelingtruth.net. Uh, the Rouge, White, and Blue podcast is posted usually Wednesday or Thursday. We do record on Tuesday night. Uh, so usually either later Wednesday or earlier Thursday that will come out. And you can find The Grueling Truth on iTunes as well or just about anywhere else you can find uh, podcasts. And every once in a while I'll even put a written piece out. So right uh, you can look for me at USFL Tecmo uh, on Twitter as well. And I'll be posting links to my show as soon as they come out. And make sure you listen to it, folks. Uh, it was a pleasure having you here. Nice to meet you finally. Uh, we met about an hour and five minutes ago for the first time. So. Uh, thanks for coming, and uh, hope you have a safe flight home tomorrow morning. And yeah, yeah, uh, it was a pleasure coming. All right, uh, for Michael Garrell, for Joe Pritchard, this is Ryan Coop. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg, and we'll see you next week.